For all the science to satisfy your gut, Deerland brings you Digestible, a podcast breaking down the trends of the nutraceuticals industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Digestible, a Deerland probiotics and enzymes podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, we appreciate you joining us on another live episode of Digestible. As we explore today's breaking news, and we've got some great research and information for you today, make sure that you're heading to our website, again, deerland.com, deerland.com. For more information on the research and touch points we're going to be breaking down today, but also for more Deerland content, including episodes of Digestible and other articles, videos, blogs, and more. You can also find episodes of Digestible on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations, plus notifications when we drop new ones. So on today's episode, again, we've got some breaking news from the Deerland team. We're going to be breaking down the fascinating new results of a Deerland study around the efficacy of DE111, which is a spore-forming strain of Bacillus subtilis that has been genome sequenced and heavily studied for its probiotic properties. And while other studies have focused on DE111's impact on measures of health, such as microbiome balance, immune response, cardiovascular health, and actually even sports performance, this study is unique in its focus in that it's seeking to clarify how our bodies respond to DE111 and whether it actually remains in the gut like it should to positively impact gut health. So we've got the results to share with you today, along with three Deerland thought leaders to break down the research process, the research findings, and how should this inform strategies for probiotic product developers. Here to offer some insights are our three guests. We're going to go down the line, starting with John Deaton, Vice President of Science and Technology. We're also joined by Joan Colom-Comas, Research Scientist, and Stephen Williams, Director of Education and Innovation. Again, all with the Deerland team. John, Joan, Stephen, great to have all three of you on. It's really a pleasure getting to source your insights today. Let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, I gave a high-level, I guess, goal for the study a few minutes ago. How would you further define what the mission was for the study in relation to some of the other well-researched information on probiotics that's already out there and specifically around DE111? Yes, so I believe... So there's a lot of research out there in terms of uh, the benefits of probiotics um, and how... um, some key areas in, uh, in terms of digestion, immunity, uh, regularity, things like that. As you mentioned, uh, some of the things that we've actually studied for our uh, uh, strain uh, DE111. However, how it actually does that, uh, the fundamentals of how it actually uh, begins to um, enact and actually have an impact on the gut is really relatively unknown. Uh, how does it survive um, and does it survive and does it uh, proliferate in the uh, intestines? Uh, and we're at um, in the small intestines where a lot of uh, functions occur and, and the importance uh, in uh, uh, maintaining the balance and the um, uh, in various functions such as the digestion, absorption, uh, and immunity occur, um, are you actually getting growth and impact there? Um, in order for probiotics to function, there are a few functions that actually occur just by being a, uh, a cell or a spore, but also a lot of it actually comes from the metabolites that are actually produced, the enzymes that are actually secreted 
uh, into the environment as it grows. Um, and you want to know that, uh, that the, uh, the environment of the body, is it a natural um, area for uh, that actually promotes uh, uh, growth uh, for your organism? And so that was a very important question for us for DE 111 um, and really for any probiotic. But and there's few out there uh, that actually have uh, the research behind this and mainly because it's a very invasive uh, area to study. Um, you really don't have access to it. Um, so there's um, a lot of research is actually done uh, looking at uh, downstream, really at the very end. Uh, the fecal uh, is usually your main um, area of uh, research, and that's the distal colon. Um, so, but that's only at the very end uh, and a very small piece of the puzzle. Uh, the larger, uh, a lot of pieces are actually missing that really uh, are needed to understand how um, something, uh, a probiotic is able to provide the benefits um, uh, necessary uh, for um, balancing and supporting uh, the body. And so that's one of the, that's the uh, purpose of the study. Uh, we wanted to look at uh, a, um, a technique that would allow us to have a window into the uh, intestines, especially the small intestines, um, we're out, uh, without worrying about contamination where you're having to stick a, a tube down someone's throat, et cetera, and pull it out and it has to go through many environments actually to get back to you to study. Um, and so uh, we started um, working with uh, various uh, universities and, and uh, medical institutions and stuff like that. And what came across uh, was actually a, a technique uh, using um, ileostomy. And so basically uh, people that have um, their large intestines is no longer able to process waste. Um, they have to basically have a tube that now comes out of their body um, and uh, basically from the ileum. Um, and that's where uh, the material ends up um, uh, being uh, excreted from the body. Um, and we can actually take that process and have basically healthy individuals. They have no other issues uh, up, upstream. Um, so they're able to eat and digest and live a normal life outside of basically uh, instead of going to the bathroom, they change their bag. Um, and so this allows us a technique to actually have them take the supplement and then be able to analyze uh, the uh, contents. And basically now you have a window uh, into the small intestines. And the small intestines is actually very important, and I'll turn that over to Stephen to explain that. Yeah, thank you. Um, so John said it well, and he alluded to it. The, the small intestine is really essential in the body. That's primarily where most uh, digestion and absorption occurs. Um, after uh, partially digested food goes through the small intestine, um, and goes in the large intestine, that's really just where uh, water absorption takes place. So most of our uh, direct interaction with the food and the need to digest it and absorb it happens in the small intestine. There's also a significant portion of the immune system that um, is found within the small intestines. And so when you're speaking about probiotics, well, they can have uh, positive benefit throughout the gastrointestinal tract. There's a lot of interest in the small intestines considering the digestion and immunity connection to that part of the digestive tract. I think John um, said it well also that most probiotics that we take into our bodies when we first take them into our bodies they're in a dormant state so they've, they've been freeze-dried and in the case of uh, these really stable probiotics they tend to be spore-forming probiotics 
Um, so they're in the spore state. So the question that everybody has is, well, do they remain in that dormant state as they pass through the body? Or do they wake up and start to grow and produce all these beneficial um, products when they're within the body? And that's um, what we were looking at um, in the ileostomy study to see if that, that growth and that waking up occurred within the small intestine. Now, I know there's been plenty of research around DE111 already. Of course, this study was unique in its focus and mission. Uh, but just to connect the dots a little bit, what has previous research on DE111 already revealed about some of its use cases? And how did that inform, uh, I guess, the framing and perspective of where you wanted to take this study? Yeah, absolutely. So we've done um, several clinical trials on DE111, um, eight um, have already been published, and there's more that are in the works. Um, and those clinical trials have focused on regularity and and uh, digestion or digestive health. Um, they've also looked at immunity and the calming down of um, inflammatory markers. Um, we've even, as you mentioned earlier, Daniel, we've looked at um, sports nutrition and performance, and um, also cardiovascular health. Um, we've also looked at how it affects the microbiome. So we've looked at a lot of different endpoints of, of how DE111 affects people's health. Um, and there's been a lot of positive benefits there. We've also done a lot of in vitro work. Um, so we've done a lot of studies um, regarding what DE111 does as it grows. We've looked at its production of enzymes, its production of short-chain fatty acids, other metabolites that have a benefit um, to the body. And so knowing all of these things, knowing that when it's taken, it has benefits on the immune system and the cardiovascular system and, and digestion, and then also knowing what happens in a lab setting, um, the the novelty of this study is that we can um, demonstrate that it actually does grow in the body. So it gives us some, some better indications for how and why this produces the benefits that it does. Kind of the mechanisms of action and that the, the growth that we're seeing um, in the lab is happening in the body and we're having those beneficial uh, products from the probiotic being produced in the body. So again, the focus for this study was really to understand spread rate and impact of spore germination. Why was it important for the Deerland team to understand that rate spread and again impact of spore germination, but under real time in vivo conditions in the human small intestine? versus relying on some of the other well-simulated research that uh, already existed or, you know, some of the models that are maybe more traditional. Sure. It's, um, as Stephen mentioned, we've done a lot of in vitro work. So you, you do your best to try to simulate uh, the conditions of the body, but uh, you're never going to be, you're, your body's complex. you got a lot of moving parts, a lot of um, uh, stomach acid is going to vary, um, bile salts, etc. So you really... Uh, while you do your best, you really can't say 100% that under these conditions, these are the exact conditions that your body uh, has. Uh, even though you do see growth, you see proliferation, um, the temperature and the pH uh, seems aligned. You still have other uh, components in there that you just can't replicate. And so to truly be able to say uh, your probiotic uh, proliferates, it actually survives first. 
and then proliferates in the digestive tract uh, in the conditions of the small intestines, uh, you have to show it. You have to go in. And it, while it's been, as I mentioned before, it's invasive, it's difficult to do, um, it's, in, it's necessary to really to make that um, statement, uh, to be 100% sure you have to show it. And so that's the reason we, we spent the time, we did the research, we brought in the experts, um, and uh, and we're very excited about this clinical. We think that uh, with this, uh, you're showing 100% proof for the uh, consumer that when you take this product, it's surviving. It's getting to the destination it needs to go in order to have the impact um, that the other clinicals um, show, as Stephen mentioned, uh, the heart health and regularity, immunity, et cetera. So let's go ahead and break down the process then for the entire study and some of the uh, more granular core decisions that were made along the process to ensure the quality and uh, usable data um, gained and gleaned from the research. Let's start with understanding how you decided the number of participants as well as the demographics of who you would actually source. Go ahead and share some insights for us. Sure, no problem. As I, uh, as I mentioned, I mean, one of the things that you do have limits to is um, the number of participants because of the invasiveness, invasiveness of the uh, technique. And so the IRB, so let's back up just to give you the broad sense. All of our studies, all of our uh, clinical work is double-blind, placebo-based, randomized uh, uh, clinicals. Uh, and so these are all uh, published in peer-reviewed uh, journals. Uh, and we use the gold standard um, so that we know that uh, there's power to the study, that our statistical significance mean what, uh, means what it means. Um, and uh, in order to do that, of course, uh, we want to make sure that the participants are safe, uh, that uh, we follow all the guidelines. And then, of course, being IRB approved, uh, you, when you go through that process, depending on the uh, type of techniques and how invasive it is um, determines the number of participants that you can have. And so that's where we have 11 participants. Um, and the reason is because it's a very invasive technique. It does directly, the benefit that you have is because this is a direct measurement, you're literally getting a, um, a, uh, a picture, uh, a direct sample of the, uh, uh, of the material. Um, the power of the study is actually there. It's actually very strong. Uh, the statistical significance that we get out of it is very strong, uh, even uh, with uh, 11 participants. Now, we also wanted to make sure, again, these are healthy participants. Uh, the ileostomy bag, uh, it is something that, uh, yes, they're uh, downstream. Uh, one part uh, um, particular area um, is not functioning, uh, but the overall health of the individual is, is there. Uh, they're able to eat what they want to eat. Uh, they're able to have an active lifestyle. They, they live a normal life outside of this one thing. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that we were uh, working with healthy individuals. Uh, the other part is we, we have a diverse group uh, from 24 years up to 75 years old, uh, as well as male and females. Um, so we wanted to make sure that we're showing that uh, there it doesn't matter uh, in terms of uh, the um, whether you're male or female, uh, whether you're young uh, or um, older. It, it, it applies... Uh, the same uh, with uh, all age groups and, and situations. And so we also wanted to make sure that we we're using a standard dose that you would see in a supplement. Uh, 
And so using 5 billion CFUs, um, this was taken with a mill. Um, and then basically we followed uh, per hour. So we took it at the initial time point and then we followed and took samples every hour so that we could actually get an in-depth analysis of what is actually going on as it transitions through the stomach and the small intestines of the body. And which of course takes uh, a couple of hours to actually um, go through. Um, and so that way, that way we can actually look at both the spore as well as whether or not it vegetates and then also quantifying that so we can actually get numbers and relate that back to um, the overall microbiome. Um, so uh, Joan, I'll let you get into the specifics of the procedure. Yeah, sure. So I think that John has explained most of it very well. And what I would like to add is that essentially um, each participant came in um, twice for the clinical trial. And the first time that they came in were even given uh, even a placebo or D111, depending on the treatment of the day. And so the reason why they came twice is because we could track them um, using the two different uh, treatments and make sure that there wasn't any deviation because of the uh, variable conditions of this in vivo st study. Um, also, we made sure that we were giving them um, a 5 billion CFUD111 dose, which is the standard concentration found in the capsules of the 111 in the market. So these results were reproducible and would be um, ideal to show what would happen in real life if you are taking this probiotic. And then, as John was mentioning, when we were looking at um, or collecting samples, we were using the ileal bags, which was uh, very useful because it allowed us or allowed us to have um, real-time information um, from the small intestinal tract. And just to develop further here, I know that this can sound like um, you know any other standard clinical trial, but I want to make sure to say that this is actually a groundbreaking study. And, and the reason why is because uh, spore-based probiotics have been studied for many years now, uh, but to date, no one has actually been able to show um, in vivo germination of any spore-based probiotic in the small intestinal tract of humans. And that's because most studies have actually uh, tried to show germination in in vitro laboratory model uh, conditions simulating the small intestinal tract or in, in humans. And that's because, as John was mentioning earlier, uh, it's very difficult to access samples from the small intestinal tract. Um, the procedures are quite invasive. So for, for you to have an idea um, about it, the standard way to collect a sample would be using a nasogastric tube, which would be inserted through uh, your nose, down your throat, and through your stomach to the small intestinal tract. And as you can imagine, this is quite um, an unpleasant situation. And so, um, in this case, and for this study, our team of scientists decided to try a new approach. And this was the recruitment of people that um, would have a, an unstable ileostomy. And so this allowed us to collect samples from the small intestinal tract without using any invasive procedure and um, in a real-time fashion. So we could see what was happening in the small intestinal tract for an eight hours uh, period, which is covering more or less uh, the full digestion. And so it gave us a very clear picture of what was happening with D111 uh, in the small intestinal tract and how it was behaving. And so 
this way, we were, we were able to actually conduct the first study showing um, germination of a spore-based probiotic in real time and in vivo in the small intestinal tract of humans, which is something that no one has done before. And that's why it's uh, a very remarkable stu study. So I'll let you all get more granular with the results here. But at a high level, when the study came back, it became pretty clear that DE111 not only survives, but it also germinates and then grows while traveling through the stomach and the small intestine around three hours after ingestion, and then it continued to spread for about six total hours. So with that in mind, can you elaborate more on the findings of the study that you consider most interesting and most important around DE111? Sure. Actually, I mean, the first thing was, to your point, it was actually very exciting to see that we actually got um, survival and proliferation uh, within three hours. I mean, it was actually very quick uh, from the time that they ingested, uh, consumed the product. And so uh, in order to, um, I mean, that's that's very impressive. Uh, and it, it actually grew and grew at a very um, uh, strong level um, uh, over many hours. And uh, while we actually kept our study at um, around six hours, that wasn't the uh, the end of the uh, the germination uh, and growth. That was actually a continuation on. Um, so it was exciting to see that over that time period, you're actually getting um, uh, a very strong growth pattern that indicated that uh, it was helping in digestion. It was consuming sugars, fats, and proteins. Uh, it was able to produce enzymes. It was able to produce uh, metabolites. Um, and uh, during that uh, uh, growth phase, we're actually getting uh, from 10 to the 6th, 10 to the 7th, uh, 10 to the 8th uh, CFUs. That's actually very important and very impressive because uh, for the small intestines, that's actually uh, your endogenous um, microorganisms um, in your microbiome is, is around that number. It's around 10 to the 6th, 10 to the 7th. Um, and uh, so the the fact is, uh, the levels that we're um, seeing, counting, uh, are actually on, on par uh, with the endogenous uh, microorganisms of the uh, digestive tract and the small intestines. Um, so that, that was actually very cool. Um, so, Juan, I'll, I'll let you dive in a little bit more on the uh, additional information. Yeah, thanks, John. Well, I think you covered very well all the points there. Um, what I was just going to mention here and perhaps talk a bit about the actual viability of the in vivo models and, you know, referring back to the question that you had earlier, uh, why is it important, is that, as John mentioned here, we started seeing um, D111 um, both uh, in spore form and in vegetative cells around what would be the expected normal transit time for the small intestinal tract, which is around three hours. Now, these three hours um, um, happened, or it, it, um, we, see, we saw the 111 after three hours in some participants, and, and those will be participants that would actually have um, what would be a faster transit time. But this wasn't the case for everyone in the study. Some people only had the 111 in the um, in the ostomy bags or in the intestinal samples after four or five hours after ingesting the capsule. And, and this variation is, is normal. It's normal because um, for the average human or adult human, the intestinal transit time can vary between two hours and 40 minutes and four hours, which correlates very well with what we've seen in, in this study. And there's something else that's important to mention here, and it's that during um, placebo treatment, 
we didn't see any D111 in the uh, intestinal samples of um, the participants in the study. And neither did we observe D111 before the expected transit time for the small intestinal tract, which is very important because it's telling us that we are not detecting any pre-existing B111 or any other bacillus subtilis in the intestinal tract, and it's validating our results by showing that we are actually detecting D111 coming out of the ingested capsule. Yeah, one thing that I'd like to add to what John mentioned, he talked a little bit about these these transit times, and we did um, the study, we sampled the ileostomy bags every hour after somebody partook of the placebo or, or D111 um, for a total of eight hours. And eight hours is, is kind of the average time that it takes for something to pass from the mouth all the way through to the end of the small intestines. As Joan mentioned, there's there's some variation. You know, it could be anywhere really from five to 11 hours for that, that whole passage to take place, but eight hours is a, is a good general average. One of the really interesting findings that we found is that um, when we added all of the cell counts um, from individuals um, over that eight-hour timed course, um, on average, we're, we're getting the same amount of um, cells coming out that we administered in the beginning. But you have to realize that some of those cells were spore and also some were in the vegetative state because they have started to grow and, and to germinate. And so this, this indicates that we're getting really good survival of the probiotic through the digestive tract. And then in addition, that survival is really growing and thriving. Um, it, it would have been ideal and really interesting to carry this study on even longer. Again, um, participants staying there for eight hours was a big commitment on their side, and we're, we're grateful for that. Um, but you, you can imagine that we would still continue to get cell counts even after that eight-hour time period, um, showing that continual growth uh, and, and thriving of the probiotic. But even to have the results that we do have at that eight hours, um, with that uh, equivalent coming out from what went in is, is phenomenal. So then in the big picture, what do these results mean for DE111 efficacy as a probiotic? And if you could uh, also expand a little bit on some of the positive benefits of probiotics uh, in small intestine health and gut health in general and uh, connect those dots for us. Sure. I, I mean, again, we know specifically. So um, as Joan mentioned, um, uh, it, DE111, uh, we have specific primers to DE111. Uh, the, uh, the counts that we were getting uh, were specifically for DE111. So we know uh, that our uh, probiotic uh, score 100% survives through the uh, stomach and the small intestines. And as soon as it hits the small intestines, as Joan was mentioning, you, you start to get growth. I mean, that's the benefit. Immediate impact immediately starts working uh, for the benefit of the body. Um, and so we know that we're getting numbers uh, on par with the endogenous uh, levels uh, of microorganisms in the small intestines. Uh, and we know that that growth indicates that you are getting um, the um, secreted enzymes, the metabolites, the bioactive peptides, the antimicrobials, the antioxidants. So all the benefits that we know that DE111 provides is being 
uh, administered, it's being um, proliferated, made uh, for your body uh, as soon as it hits the small intestines. And so that's huge. So it's not, um, it doesn't have to wait uh, eight hours or 10 hours. Uh, it's actually an immediate impact upon the small intestines, which is very cool. And as we discussed, um, the small intestines is actually a main uh, hub, a main um, area for a lot of the um, activity, uh, the functions that are necessary to keep your body health and uh, healthy and running uh, right and uh, uh, and uh, being able to combat um, uh, issues uh, that come up such as uh, the, your immune system. A lot of your immune system um, is in your small intestines um, and uh, so is of course digestion. That's where you really are breaking down the food that uh, you've consumed. The stomach helps some but it's actually finished in the small intestines. Also where the small intestines uh, plays the most impact is absorption of nutrients. The majority of the nutrients that you absorb is in the small intestines and so um, there's plenty of uh, benefits that actually uh, occurs uh, with your your natural, your endogenous enzymes, coupled with uh, the probiotics and their and the bacteria actually, and the probiotics as well, uh, that are able to help um, uh, uh, in that digestive process, uh, in the uh, uh, nutrient uh, absorption process. Uh, as well as there's other things as well. Uh, regularity, of course, uh, small intestines has a major impact on that. Uh, gap juncture integrity, uh, making sure things that um, are on the outside of the body, which is still through the uh, gut, uh, stays that way and doesn't get absorbed uh, as well. Uh, making sure that uh, uh, you have a healthy uh, epithelial uh, cell lining, uh, the um, again, antioxidants, antimicrobials all play a very strong function in the small intestines. Uh, and so, uh, again, the, the, the fact that DU111 not only survives but immediately starts growing, immediately starts having an impact is actually awesome. It's, it's one of those things where uh, you truly have something that you, you take it and you wonder, well, how long before I actually start feeling the effects where you're going to feel them uh, very quickly because it starts proliferating and growing. We've seen that in the past with uh, our clinicals in terms of uh, uh, having a, uh, being able to fit, have a sort of a, uh, a symptom questionnaire type of thing where I feel better, uh, but uh, really being able to measure it and um, define or know that uh, it's it happens within hours is actually very cool. Last main question I've got for y'all, and thanks so much for all of the context and info so far. I'm wondering how these findings become applicable to probiotic product developers, right? If uh, If there are key takeaways here that are applicable, uh, what would you say they are and how should they inform probiotic consumption as well as product development? I think that's a really good question. And and I would say uh, for uh, probiotic development and, and, and when you're manufacturing a product, some things that people generally should consider are, number one, is my probiotic um, surviving until it gets to the site of action in the body? So is it, is it surviving manufacturing process? And then is it surviving uh, passage through the mouth and through the stomach until it gets to the, those active sites, which uh, tend to be in the small intestine and, and occasionally also in the colon, but primarily the small intestine. Um, and, and again, uh, this study shows that D111 uniquely 
um, in the human body, we've demonstrated that it does it does survive um, that passage until it gets to the small intestine, um, which is the the hypothesized um, site of action uh, of where a lot of the the good benefit is occurring. So it's something to consider: is it surviving till it gets to that site of action? And then the the second question related to it is: well, not only is it surviving, but is it actually performing its beneficial effect at that site of action. And so in the case of a spore-forming probiotic, this has been a question um, from uh, many people for a long period of time, is does that spore survive and just pass through the body without actually growing and producing its beneficial effect? And as Joanne mentioned before, we're, we're really the first to show that a spore-forming probiotic, specifically DE111, does germinate and grow in the small intestine and uh, hence performs its its beneficial effect and, and, and is having that uh, benefit at that site of action. And then the last thing that I would have mentioned when you're, when you're formulating with a probiotic is beyond the survivability and the um, assurance that is actually acting um, at this important site of action. Uh, it's really important to know, does it have the beneficial effects that um, we're hoping it does? And the, the only way to, to prove that is through clinical trials. So um, the additional clinical trials that we have on DE111 go into depth as to the benefits that it does have on the body. And so, so really DE111 with this new study showing the surviving survivability and the germination, along with the, the vast repertoire of clinical trials we have, um, gives a really strong case uh, for formulating with uh, DE111 as a spore-forming probiotic. And I think on that note, that does it for our breaking news here on Deerland's new DE111 research. Uh, if folks want to find out more about the research or they want to get a full breakdown of the process and findings, is there anywhere we can point them? Yeah, absolutely. So um, at Deerland, we we love to share these findings. Um, we have representatives throughout Deerland um, that interact with our customers on a frequent basis, and um, they'd love to share these findings. So if you hear through um, through this or any other um, means or or even a press release, reach out to a Deerland representative, and we'll make sure that we get all those findings to you. You can find us at deerland.com, and uh, as Stephen mentioned, please uh, reach out and, find, uh, and get in touch with us. Perfect. Thank you again to the three of you. It's been a pleasure getting to break down the high-level concepts for this study, uh, the more specific uh, processes and steps that you took to ensure quality and efficacy of the study, and then again, the findings and some of the long-term impacts for probiotic developers. Again, we've been chatting with our three guests today, John Deaton, Vice President of Science and Technology, Joanne Colum-Comas, Research Scientist, and Stephen Williams, Director of Education and Innovation, all with the Deerland team. So thank you again, John, Joanne, and Stephen. I'm looking forward to chatting again soon and keeping up with uh, further updates to DE111's efficacy as a probiotic. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.
And thank you everyone for watching this live episode of Digestible, a Deerland podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, or again, you want to learn a little bit more about this study, or maybe some of Deerland's other research, you can head to our website, deerland.com. And for other episodes of Digestible, you can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Digestible. Digestible.